2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day Savings, happening now at The Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done.
3: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
4: and I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, what crosses your mind when you look at a snowy landscape? Uh, you know, whether we're talking an actual in-person visit to a winter wonderland, or you're just looking at, say, an old Peter Bruegel uh, painting of a of a snow-colored medieval landscape.
4: Oh, an old peaty medieval landscape. Um, I think just obviously about the the season. I don't think about the collective power of the ice crystals within. I just. Look at the the effect of the collective and how beautiful it is.
1: Yeah, at the most you're probably going to say, look at all that snow. You're not going to say, look at those snowflakes. Imagine how many there are. Imagine how many little bits of crystallized water uh, have uh, contributed to this uh, this overall picture before us.
0: Yeah,
4: particularly if you're in the Midwest right now and you're getting a bunch of snow dumped on you and you have to shovel all that, yeah. you're probably not thinking about the majesty of these tiny little geometric crystal kingdoms within. Yeah,
1: yeah you're not celebrating the snowflake. I, I feel like... Uh, yeah here here in the south uh, I've, I've always lived in, in places where there's snow but definitely uh in the south in like tennessee and georgia i've lived in places where the snow is rare enough to where you can get excited about it uh when it's not there and also make little cardboard snowflakes that end up going on the you know the, the kindergarten wall
4: yeah i mean it's something you're right in the south it's like ah, you yeah. know whenever a snowflake comes tumbling down from the sky but we are going to take this sort of powers of 10 approach today we're going to try to get um, from the macro to the micro and really get into snowflakes and whether or not they are unique each uh, snowflake is it unique and what if anything it has to do with ripperologists and all sorts of other things
1: all right so it begs the question what is a snowflake uh, again it's easy to take it for granted to forget they're there or to just not think about them at all it's just this Funny little uh, beautiful shape that falls from the sky, and it's made out of ice, and it piles up and forms a lot of snow. But uh, but but when you stop and, and, and ask yourself, how does it form? Well, it's a little more complicated than. It, it all begins with a little tiny speck of dust.
4: Yeah, this is a possible hexagon base scenario. I mean, first you have to have temperatures at 32 degrees Fahrenheit or mm-hmm. lower in a cloud for water vapor to attach to that little. Dust grain.
1: Yeah, it's also known as a, a condensation nuclei, because this is going to befo- form the heart of everything that grows out from it.
4: Yeah, which then crystallizes into ice. And once it does this, a prism forms with six faces and a top and a bottom. And if you guys can sort of imagine all of that in your brain, you've got the top and the bottom, and each has a side, six sides, right? And, uh, a cavity forms in each prism face where ice grows fastest and then six branches sprout forming that hexagon. Now, where it's gonna go from there depends again on the conditions in that cloud, uh, because the vapor content is really important in terms of how that, uh, snowflake might grow in mm-hmm. size and shape and also again the climate. So if it, if, you know, things get warm, then you get a different uh, shape from that ice crystal, but if things freeze up, like say a high altitude cirrus cloud might produce, then you get that doily effect—that really intricate, beautiful snowflake falling down.
1: Yeah, I was reading about when they when they fall through the warmer air, there's slower growth, but mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a widening that occurs. So. And as we've discussed before, I mean, you can even have red snow in some cases. Yeah. So this blood snow that is uh, uh, that has been uh, seen to fall uh, in various places throughout history, the idea being here that that little speck of dust at the center of it all mm-hmm. is red in color and therefore dictates the overall color of the snow.
4: How, uh, that would be just wonderful to have, like, red snowflakes, wouldn't it? would yeah. be terrifying, but
1: red wonderful. Cr- red Christmas, yeah.
4: I'm dreaming of a red, bloody Christmas. All right, so here's the thing. A tiny snowflake could actually affect the climate, not on a a huge scale here. But Hans Verland, associate professor of meteorology at Penn State, says that, quote, cirrus clouds are known to play a large role in Earth's energy budget and hence climate. The molecular level processes determine the shape of the ice crystals, which then determine the characteristics of the clouds themselves, which control the radiative properties of clouds and the role of cirrus in climate.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, and these guys should know they have an awesome job. They're snowflake designers. Uh, they they use the Penn State Cloud Chamber mm-hmm. to uh, to explore ice crystal growth in a in in this environment that's uh, designed to mimic the conditions uh, that are similar to a, a serious cloud environments.
4: Yeah, and as you say, they've got the actual cloud chamber. Yeah, and they they inject you know a little bit of vapor in there, and it's fascinating to watch.
1: Now uh, you know the idea that little something is is insignificant seeming as a is as a, as a snow crystal uh, could and lead to vast changes in effect climate. Uh it's interesting because it's you know very much that idea of the butterfly effect. And of course the butterfly mm-hmm. effect has its heart in chaos theory which actually stems from meteorology and trying to figure out what is going to happen with the weather at any given time and as we look into the future there's so many factors in, in in our in our weather in our climate in our atmosphere and the smallest thing does have enormous repercussions.
4: Yeah, as the butterfly wings in this butterfly Uh, effect theory would dictate, right? Right. At least that's the idea behind it. But what we really want to get to is, is the snowflake unique? Does it have a doppelganger? Does it have a double out there? We hear about this all the time. Each snowflake is unique and beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's it's something we we hear growing up because the the obvious uh, analogy to, grow, to to draw there is not only is the snowflake unique and beautiful, but you are unique and beautiful. <laughs> you are one of a kind. You, darling child, are unique and beautiful and there's no one else on this world like you. And as we grow older, we kind of realize that yes, that is true, but it's not as true as your your mom may have made it out to be when you were younger.
4: Yeah, you're like I, I. am distinctive. I am unique, but I might be a type.
1: Yeah, if you've ever auditioned for uh, for any kind of an acting gig, or really if you've if you've ever uh, uh, you know gone after any job and uh, and and had a, a glimpse of the other people going for the position, then you begin to realize, all right, I'm, I may be a a unique snowflake, but there are similar snowflakes, and they are my enemies. <laughs>
4: Right, and I'm sure that other snowflakes look at each other like that. Uh, But yeah, on a molecular level, a snowflake, Verlin says, could be unique. And he says, let's be specific here and define a snowflake, first of all, as a single vapor-grown crystal. And then he says that he would say with a great deal of confidence that all crystals are different on this molecular level purely because there are differences in the atomic structure of the atoms making up the water molecule and hence in the water molecules themselves.
1: Yeah, on I mean, yeah, a very basic level, it's the same as the, the fact that uh, me and the other person going after the same job, we're composed of different atoms. We're, we're, we're different things on a very physical, uh, molecular level.
4: But visually, Verland would say no, uh, because there are only so many types of snowflakes out there or shapes.
1: Yeah, and especially the case when you look at snowflakes in the early stages of their development. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the earlier the snowflake is, the younger the snowflake is, the the more possibility that you're going to have uh, repetition. And then as the snowflake develops over time, uh, you know, Im- imagine again the, the branching occurring uh, and and the changes occurring as it goes through these uh, the varying degrees of, uh, of heat and cold. Mm-hmm. As, as time passes, there's less likelihood that you're going to have doubles. But they're but but still they're gonna have snowflakes that look a lot alike at least at the macro level.
4: Right. And you're not gonna have pentagon and octagon shaped snowflakes, first of all. Let's just get that. Yeah, if you ever
1: cut one of those out in a uh, class school project, it's a complete lie. Those don't exist.
4: Yeah. Pretty, but don't exist. Um you will probably have the hexagon, right? That's pretty much like the base structure here. And there are triangular snowflakes. And most people think about those as more like trying to find a four leaf clover. But they turn out to be more common than we thought. In the study, Aerodynamic Stability and the Growth of Triangular Snow Crystals, co-authors Kenneth Liebrecht and Hannah Arnold describe the process as tiny impurities such as dust particles can cause one edge of the falling snowflake to tilt up as it falls. The snowflake sides that are pointed down grow faster as the wind blows by leading to a stable triangular pattern, which remains triangular despite any later bumps as it falls which is kind of fascinating. We've got yeah. a little bit of aerodynamics going on here.
1: We were looking at some of the various shapes that these snowflakes take on, and it, it's, it's really a rich and varied uh, uh, world of, of snowflakes that we often take completely for granted. I mean, it, because it, it, at heart, we're talking about crystal formation. And it's like in the world of crystals, there's the human idea of crystals, the crystals that humans carve uh naturally occurring crystals into so they can put it on a ring or a pendant or what mm-hmm. have you. And then there is the the rich world of actual crystal formation, which if you you know start doing a Google image search, you'll just go down the rabbit hole at all these different forms. And the same can be said of the snowflakes. You see I mean some of them look more like uh like you're looking at a bacteria or something or some yeah. sort of strange um Tip for a medical device
4: yeah machine parts I love these yeah. um, most people think about their radiating dendrites those are the ones that have the, the six branches with tiny little branches coming mm-hmm. off of it uh, but there are some amazing things uh, like the scrolls on plates is a type of snowflake and within that you see all sorts of different variations and then you see the piling on of ice crystals like the capped columns kind of look like a I guess you like a bolt. And if you look yeah, at Yeah, or that, like
1: those big, um, those big spools that, yes. uh, the wire comes on and yeah. you, that sometimes be- becomes a, a coffee table and a bachelor's <laughs> pad.
4: <laughs> My parents had one of those. Um, uh, but yeah, you will see, if you look at, under an electron microscope, you will see the ice crystals on top of that six sided, uh, plate on the very top. And it's just amazing. They really are these crystal kingdoms of ice.
1: Yeah. The, um, there's one, uh, a particular shape, uh, called capped bullets that, uh, If you, if you created this or drew this in, you know, like a second grade classroom and called it a snowflake, I have a feeling a lot of teachers would give you an F, but because it looks like three crystal shards, uh, joined at the point. It, it does, it doesn't even look real, you know, but, uh, but at the, at the, at the micro level, this is how crystals form together. This is one of the many structures they can take on.
4: Yeah, and we'll try to, um, to post on this so that you guys have a visual reference to this. But if you wanted to look it up, you could just say electron microscopes, snowflakes, and you will see just amazing imagery of this stuff.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more snowflakes. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun
1: All right, we're back. And I should point out that designer snowflakes are possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caltech researchers have created flakes in the laboratory using electric needles placed in a diffusion chamber. Uh, in this situation, the crystals grow on the needles' tip, and by altering the, the conditions, the scientists are able to create different sizes and patterns of snowflakes. Uh, some uh, p- perhaps unnatural shapes for snowflakes.
4: I mean, that's got to be one of the best jobs ever. Yeah. Zen. And just yeah, I make I make snowflakes. That's Zen, what I do. High
1: tech, yeah, and uh, and again, as, as we discussed earlier, uh, when we were talking about Penn State's cloud chamber, um, when by studying crystal formations mm-hmm. in snowflakes, I mean we're we're getting down to some of the, the the fine details of the the overwhelming movements of climate.
4: That's right. All these tiny little things that make up climate, and we will discuss this in a bit. There's also this idea that snowflakes can inform us about the universe. But first. We have got to talk about what snowflakes have to do with ripperologists.
1: Yes. Now this is, uh, this is pretty fabulous stuff. Uh, and this idea, uh, comes to us from Alan Moore, who, uh, who wrote the amazing graphic novel From Hell. Uh, all black and white thick graphic novel about the Ripper murders and it's it's really a great work of literature if you haven't read it uh, it, it deals with a lot of uh, feminist issues it deals with some of the grisly details of the case and uh, in the epilogue uh, Alan Moore uh, talks about the idea of the the Cox snowflake uh, to illustrate his point about Ripperologist.
4: That's right. He compares the multitude of increasingly outlandish Ripper theories to what is known as a cock snowflake, where a finite fixed location event in error, in this case London, late 1888, can have an infinite number of nooks and crannies.
1: Yeah, so with the, with the actual fractal idea of the cock snowflake, this is what happens. You start with uh, a triangle, and then you remove the inner third of each side, building another triangle, uh, at the location where the side was removed. So now you have a star instead of a... Kind
4: of uh, like a star of David.
1: Exactly, yeah. And then you repeat this process indefinitely. The snowflake does not grow in size, but it grows in complexity. So Moore's point in all of this is that uh, there's only so much about the Ripper murders that we know. There's only so much uh, at this point that we will ever know for sure. I mean, uh, unless we actually develop a means of traveling back in time and spying on what happened... Uh, That's not going to happen. So there's a set amount of information. So the Ripper story, as we know it, will never expand beyond a certain threshold. But the complexity... That we throw at it, uh, that, that can grow. Uh, so, so, the idea is that there are only so many facts that we have, mm-hmm. and ripperologists, those, you know, that are obsessed with figuring out exactly who did it, why they did it, what kind of complex plots were involved, they end up crafting intricate theory after theory, while our, our actual knowledge on the in- incident never expands beyond it, so beyond what is currently known.
4: I was just thinking about that in terms of conspiracy theory in general, yeah. and I was thinking about Bigfoot's. We recently talked about Yeti and B- Bigfoot, and the idea there is patterns. Right, yeah. and seeing patterns, and we've talked about this a lot with cognitive bias and all sorts of conspir- conspiracy theorists. But the overlaying of patterns and the symmetry in the in the Koch snowflake, this fractal. That again, what you're doing is, you know, every time you put on another equilateral triangle, it yields another space, and it's an infinite perimeter to just begin into you know, putting on that same pattern, right? Yeah. That layering of that same equilateral triangle. So it's interesting, and I just wanted to point out too that the Koch snowflake is uh, actually named after Swedish mathematician, and his name is Niels Fabian Helg von Koch, who uh, identified one of the earliest known fractals here.
1: Yeah, it's a K-O-C-H. If you want to check that out. Um, now you're probably listening to that, and you're, you're thinking, well, that you're also talking about a creative process here. You sort of you have a set amount of information, and then you just Pl- plowing forward with all this complexity and making the existing information more and more complex in the way it relates to each other, and uh, indeed, you will find uh, snowflake novel writing methods out there on the internet, yeah. which I've always found interesting. I, I haven't really ever tried to employ one, but I like the idea. And the idea is, you start with a simple idea, you start with your your basic outline, you know, your, and then you expand it. You create a snowflake out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, you can think of various novels that sort of occupy the same space at a very basic level. I mean, how many fantasy, epic fantasy novels sound more or less the same? How many detective novels sound more or less the same? And to a certain extent, it's all been done before, right? Where it where stuff di- differentiates from the next book and the next book is is in the details, is in the the the, the intricate nature of the snowflake, even if our existing literature and it is, is really only going only going to occupy the same space. It's not going to expand beyond its current threshold.
4: Well, you know, as a fiction writer who comes to the blank page with a cacophony of ideas, mm-hmm. I find that really seductive, this idea that you just create this triangle. This simple triangle mm-hmm. of of the plot, and then you begin to just fill it out from there, and that way you can sort of tame some of the ideas, some of the thoughts, some of the characters that are running around in your head.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, it, it brings me back to the the whole idea: of write what you know, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a fixed amount of what I know. It, it comes down to how you implement what you know, and how you uh, how how you uh, arrange it on the page, and how you create this snowflake.
4: Uh, just to go off on a tangent here for a second, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I wonder if we can weave neuroscience into an actual writing class. And w- the reason is, is because as readers, we have all sorts of neurons firing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mirror neurons as we read on the page, what the character is doing. So if the, the character is weeping or playing baseball, then there are certain things going on in our heads that are connecting with that. And I was thinking that one of the reasons why some characters work and some don't is because they seem like caricatures and we can't relate to them because it doesn't feel real. It's outside of the writer's experience, perhaps when mm-hmm. they're trying to render that character, that snowflake. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it would be nice to see if some of the world of science could inform fiction writing.
1: That would be interesting. That would be interesting.
4: Shower Thoughts by Julie Douglas. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's get back to this because I think it's an interesting idea that um, that you could have this pattern making. And in the sense of ripperologists or conspiracy theories in the Coke snowflake, you'd always have uncertainty no yes. matter how much you layered it on.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the, the remarkable thing about it is that again, we'll never be able to say with one hundred percent accuracy this is what happened and this is this is who was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, we but we just lay, keep layering on the uh, the complexity you know, of our theories. I mean, you see a similar thing with uh, with the assassination of uh, JFK. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the facts, we have them arranged, and then uh, we cannot help but continue to go back and try and create a more uh, complex idea of what happened um in in large part uh, i believe it was william manchester made this argument uh pointed out that all right we we pretty much know oswald killed kennedy like the and that it was just a lone gunman situation but when you compare the two when you put them on the scales Mm -hmm. the you have such a a, a, an insignificant measly person as oswald on this level and then you have a a figure like kennedy on the other they don't balance out you would and you would have to plot you'd have to Throw more complexity onto the Oswald side of the scale to even things out to where it kind of makes sense in a more
0: epic uh, uh, sense of the word.
4: And then you're just further down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love – In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah,
4: I, I want to make this sort of thread through snowflakes and zen and joy, and I don't know if, if, if we'll be able to fully get at this idea, but I did think one of the things about snowflakes is that when you pay attention to them you really are paying attention to the details of the world you're slowing things down and we talked about this uh, when we were discussing labyrinths and and mm-hmm. and many other topics that you're it's a meditative process and you're seeing things as they are as opposed to that blueprint in your mind just creating memory for you and you know creating your reality yeah that's what I like about this idea about snowflakes, is particularly the electron micro- microscope when you're looking at them because you really get to see all of those nooks and crannies. And that 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 snowflake is such an ephemeral object because it's gone in seconds. Well, you know, it gets frozen into the uh, into a snowdrift and then it's molecularly changed anyway.
1: Yeah, it's but, been in a state of change its entire existence, and then it is in and then it changes again into uh, into mere water.
4: So I thought this is really a good example of perhaps something called joy, one of these emotions um uh, that we try to figure out and and categorize. And Zadie Smith, she is a writer, she has a really great essay on joy and she goes through and she makes the distinction between pleasure and joy. She says pleasure is like you know, eating a popsicle on a hot day and avoiding my work for seven minutes while I eat the popsicle. Mm-hmm. And joy is my child who is a pleasure. Um, she says Though mostly she's a joy, which means in fact, she gives us not much pleasure at all, but rather that strange (sighs) admixture of terror, pain, and delight that I have come to recognize as joy and now must find some way to live with daily. And I thought that is, that is in a sense, a snowflake because that it's, it's going to be gone. And anyway, she goes on and on about joy and parenting and, uh, just the the existence of life, really.
1: That that is a beautiful way of looking at it. I mean, I can s- certainly relate to that, uh, having recently become a parent myself. That parenting is not a um, a seven minute uh, experience with a popsicle. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, it, it's more in keeping with, with, with how she framed it there uh, as a as an as an overall joy, but uh, but in the individual moment, uh, maybe not so pleasurable.
4: Yeah, terrifying yeah. and beautiful, mm-hmm. and, and terrifying for the reasons because it is, as we all know, life on Earth is a temporary yeah. existence, and it sort of uh, underscores that point for us a lot, just like a snowflake melting in the sun. Um, but I think that what's interesting, again, about snowflakes is that they, they do allow us to go macro and micro. And if you wanted to go macro on this, all you would have to do is look at the galaxies, and one guy... By the name of Professor Duncan Forbes, who says that galaxy formation is very similar to snowflake formation.
1: Yeah, it comes. I mean, a lot of it comes down to the basic idea of accretion, which we've talked about before, when we've talked about the formation of planets and stars and solar systems, and, and you know, on up to, to the galaxies. When you have just a very small uh, little bit of bit of matter, and it's exerting gravitational force, it draws in another bit of matter. And then the gravitational force grows and grows. It's like a snowball going down a hill. It eventually gets bigger and bigger, draws in more uh, matter from the surrounding area, and that's how you end up with a, a planet or a star, or in these uh, larger cases, um, galaxies. Um, starts out uh, very small, and then the galaxies uh, then seed in uh, this constant stream of other stars, other regions, mm-hmm. uh, other uh, you know vast uh, tracts of, uh, of, of gas.
4: Yeah, so these giants, I mean, they're being formed, but essentially it's the same process as a snowflake that has that seed, and then it grows the water vapor, and then that water vapor accumulates on the surface of the snowflake and so on and so forth. Yeah, So it's kind of a lovely thought to think that that snowflake has very much uh, a lot in common with this infinite universe idea.
1: Yeah, snowflakes of the gods, if you will.
4: Oh, I love that. Yeah. If we could right now, we would just say, "And happy holidays, everyone!" And then, in whatever place you are—in your car, in your room at home, on on the train commuting—snowflakes would fall down gently upon your head.
1: Indeed, but. I'm going to read a quote from Cormac McCarthy, so, so yeah, that'll, that kind of, that'll kind of deaden some of the joy. Uh, but still, it's a beautiful quote. This is from the Border uh, Trilogy, um, and uh, this is one uh, speaker, um, uh, a Spanish individual uh, speaking to another character. He says, snowflake, you catch the snowflake, but when you look uh, in your hands, you don't have it no more. Maybe you see this uh, the shadow, this pattern, but before you see, it's gone. If you want to see it, you have to see it on its own ground. If you catch it, you lose it, and where it goes, there is no coming back from. Not even God can bring it back.
4: Happy holidays. Yeah.
1: <laughs> have a have a nice uh, Cormac McCarthy Christmas uh, everybody. As you uh, as you ruminate on that, but but also, yeah, as so you look if you are fortunate enough to uh, experience a white Christmas, a pleasantly white Christmas, not a not one that is uh, you know, turning uh, your uh, area into a, a frigid wasteland, but uh you get to look out on the snow, think about those little snowflakes, think about uh, uh that tiny intricate design and how it all spirals out from there affecting climate and look up into the sky and think about the uh, uh, these stars, these planets that have formed and are going mean, to continue to form, and uh, and the, the the galactic formations that, in their own way, are much like a snowflake.
4: Indeed. And if you want to check out some more of what we're doing out there on the internet, you can do so at Stuff to Blow Your Mind.
1: Yes, Stuff to Blow Your Mind You can also check us out on social media. Uh, we're on Tumblr. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Google Plus. Um, and, uh, hey, you can also find us on YouTube where we're Mind Stuff Show. And, Julie, where else can they find us?
4: Well, they can send an email to blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on
3: this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Yeah.
1: Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash blowthemind to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent.